Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. To get there, our family this last week, uh, as we sometimes do for fun, we were looking at some uh, designs that weren't quite complete or at least not quite thought through. It's kind of our humor, so kind of like this Spider-Man Kleenex box. Just, you know, the dad humor just continues three weeks in a row, doesn't it? Yeah, it just doesn't quite work. Just not really completely thought through. And then there's this clock trying to get at one of the most famous romantic sayings from the movie. You may remember uh, Jerry Maguire years ago. You had me at hello is what it's supposed to say. But I couldn't even get that looking at it until somebody told me. I kept going, why is this funny? This is just stupid, right? Uh, anyway, uh, we actually have permission to show uh, that clip, part of that clip from Jerry Maguire. We have a license to do that. All of you listening to us on Facebook, it's possible Facebook might bump us off because they see copyrighted material and sometimes do that. So if you're watching on Facebook and we get bumped, we'll be right back in a moment. But enjoy this clip. We live in a cynical world. A cynical and we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I'm just has in front of the ladies discussion group the part before that he they were in a strained relationship he comes in and says hello and then tells her all this warm fuzzy cute beautiful stuff in front of him and then says you complete me and that sounds good and there is an element of a small element of truth in that but anyone who's been in a relationship for a long period of time knows that it's impossible to ask your significant other to complete you That need that we have for something more isn't a knock on the quality of that relationship. It's just that we all need more. Nobody can complete us in this life alone as a person. We need to have a mission. We need to have a purpose in life. We need to know the answers to the questions. Who am I? What gifts, talents, and and abilities do I have? And how do they fit in this world? And why am I here? As we continue our story series, uh, today we look at a powerful parable of Jesus that, that unpacks for us who we are and why we're here. At least it begins to unpack that. And the, the heart of Jesus' story is how we get the most out of the life we've been given. So let's jump right into this Jesus' story. It's commonly known as the parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them as property. To one he gave five talents, to the other two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So 
let's stop there for a moment. Reading this, at this point, a lot of people think, well, how is that fair? I mean, the master clearly represents God in this parable. So why is God generous to one while stingy to the others in this story? That perception actually is arrived at even more easily by reading some of the some of the like translations like NIV, and I'm not knocking them. It's a hard thing to translate because one of the things you, you have to work with is how do you make uh, terms from ancient times make sense to us today? So what they've done is they've turned this into the parable of the bags of gold or silver. And what we end up then thinking in this regard today is we think of these little small little gold pouches that we've seen in all those movies about ancient times that people carried their gold in or put in their pocket, right? And Jesus' story is actually talking about talents. And talent was an actual measure of gold or silver in Jesus' time. In fact, the Roman talent was approximately 100 pounds. Now, that's not going to fit in your little pouch. You're not going to hold that in the pouch in your hand or put that in your pocket, are you? So if we translate Jesus' parable into today's dollar, one talent of gold is somewhere north of $2 million dollars. It's roughly 20 years of middle-class wages. So instead of questioning why Jesus was stingy, Jesus' listeners would have actually heard this and thought, wow, dream come true. All these guys hit the lottery big time. So what does that mean for them and for us? Well, Jesus is setting up this parable saying that you and I have been given incredible value. Now, to clarify, it's not exactly like winning the lottery. You can't spend the money on whatever you please like you can in the lottery. This is like more like a grant that you've been given, a big grant that you've been awarded. It has a meaningful purpose behind the grant. The meaningful purpose certainly will abundantly supply your livelihood and your security But there is a purpose beyond that. You are the steward of what you've been given. And there is a wonderful, meaningful responsibility that comes with that. So the first question that Jesus' story is actually posing to us to answer is, do you and I understand that the abundant value that we have has been given to us by God? We aren't owners We are stewards of God's creation, and that is an abundantly wonderful responsibility. See, Jesus is saying to you and to me and to every you that is listening to this message, you have been given great, incredible value. You may not realize how much value you have, but that doesn't diminish the fact, and it is fact. You are enormously valuable. Now, if you were to think about the value in this room and just take that about who is here today, you might say something like, there are so many talented business people, there are fantastic parents and grandparents and and friends and teachers and coaches and brilliant scientists and engineers and artists and craftsmen and powerfully wise leaders in this room, and that's all true. It's incredible to stand up here each week and look out and see all the amazing talents among all of you that God has given you. But even as I say that, some of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, that's right about this person sitting over to my right or or that person sitting over in front of me. But me, I'm just incredibly average at best. But that's because you and I look at the wrong thing to determine value. And our world does too. Your value is not 
how well you do on a test or how high you climb on the social or corporate ladder, those things don't equate to how valuable you are. The most valuable things that each and every one of us have really comes down to two things, time and the power of your story. I mean, think about it. The most valuable thing in all of life is time. If you went to Fortune 500 uh, CEOs and you could say, I could sell you more time, you would be a really wealthy person. They would trade fortunes for more time. Every day, you have the most precious and valuable resource of all, time. It's something you can't renew. It just comes and it goes. How are you using the most valuable of all things God has given you? But even that thought is depressing to some because you might be thinking, well, I'm getting old. I don't have a lot of time left. Or others might be thinking, looking back on life, feeling like I just wasted so much of my time. Well, if that's you, then don't waste the rest of your life. Paul gives us a motivational pep talk in Ephesians 5 saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Your time is valuable. Your story is also so valuable because there are people who need to hear your story in order to find hope in life. Sharing your story of how God saved you even when you were uh, were living like hell, headed to hell, and God still loved you even in that moment, Others need to know that they too can be loved by God. Sharing your trials and your difficulties you faced and your failures and how God showed up, even in those for you, others facing those same trials or those same mistakes need to know God can show up for them too. The things you were blind to in life that cost you so much for so long until God opened your eyes and helped you see clearly, sharing with others those things can bring clarity and hope and peace to people's lives. Stories from your life where God increased your confidence in how much God loves you and what a great purpose he has for you. Others need to hear that so they can discover the same confidence. Your time and your story are the most valuable things God has given you in life. Now, we could do an experiment right now, but we won't. But if we did, I'd ask everyone here to share your deepest and darkest struggle that God has ever taken you through by standing up and telling the whole crowd that. Now, that's just what everybody dreams of happening when you come to church, so we're not going to do that, right? But if we did, you know what would happen? What would happen is you would tell their story, your story, And there'd be other people in the room who would be saying, yeah, I've been there, I know that, and that is so encouraging. And yet others in the room would be saying, I'm right there right now. And they'd thank you for sharing that because they'd know they're not alone and they would know there's hope for them. And they would flock to you after you got done telling your story and ask you questions like, what about this or what about that or how did you handle this? And they'd they'd ask you to pray for them. See, your story, if you're willing to be open and share it, has tremendous value that can alter the course of another person's life, their family's life, now and for eternity. See, your value is not primarily in the things you do. Like, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a banker, or just a tech person, or just a mom or dad, or an old retired person. You are not just anything. 
Humanity is the only part of God's creation that he created in his own image. That means you are created in the image of God. So think about that for a moment. For you parents in the room, have you ever had that freaky moment where you looked at your kids and said, they are mini-me's? Anybody? Now, I look at my kids, and they're too good-looking, so I just say they got all the good looks from their mom. But I can still look at them sometimes and look at their mannerisms and go, wow, that was my dad, and that was me. And a lot of times I can be really proud of that. Sometimes it's just a bad dad joke, so I'm not so proud of that. But, but God looks at us every moment of every day, and he thinks, wow, they are amazing. They are valuable, awesome beautiful. You are so beautifully, lovingly, and purposely designed with such great value. So in order to understand this parable, we have to move through this parable with that in mind, because that's where Jesus sets us up. And then he moves on. The parable goes on and he says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So the distinction in the storyline becomes very clear. Two people who used what they were given and one who preserved it and didn't use it. Jesus goes on. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And the master said to him, Awesome job. I'm so proud of you. You are so amazing. I couldn't be happier. Let's celebrate. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And the master said, Awesome job. I am so proud of you. You are so amazing. I couldn't be happier. Let's celebrate. See, one of the ways this parable is often abused, unfortunately, is is it's used to create comparisons, where some people say, Well, I'm a five-talent person. They're merely, that, that, to use it that way is merely ego stroking. It actually butchers what Jesus is trying to tell us here. Because notice, the two and five talent person get the exact same affirmation, the exact same joy and celebration from their master. There is no comparison like five is better than two. The only determination in receiving the master's full reward is not how much you have been given, but how faithful you have been with what you have been given. The story goes on. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. This is a story's turning point. What is Jesus' response to this man going to be? I mean, this man didn't squander what he was given on a party of a lifetime. He got two million, and he gave him back two million. He just did nothing with it. Jesus goes on and says, But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seeds. See, Jesus recognizes, yes, I know that. God is so much bigger, better, more powerful, more capable. He's perfect, and you're not. And I know that can be intimidating. That, for all of us, is a given. And he goes on and says, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So what does this mean? Back to Civics 101, in a sense, Jesus is saying, you should have at least put your money in the bank so that they could have used your money to loan out to others so that you could earn your paltry two-tenths of 1% interest that you get to that nowadays in your savings account, right? Put another way, it's not like loaning a friend $20 and where, where you go if I get it back, fine. If not, fine. No, this talent is not just a gift, but an investment intended to grow and be used and create beauty and all sorts of stuff. There is purpose here. But even with that, listen, the clear implication is if he had at least put his money in his bank savings account, then while he may not have gotten the same reward as the others got, at least he would be okay. But he didn't even do that. Jesus continues and says, So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, has not what? Has not done anything with what they have been given. Even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, this isn't just a little slap on the wrist. Jesus is saying, if you aren't faithful to use the valuable time, abilities, story, and treasure God has given you, then the consequence language Jesus uses sounds an awful lot like the same language he uses for hell. Now, for some of you, alarm bells might be going off right now. You might be thinking, is Jesus saying that I have to double my money to make it to heaven? Or is, or is God's salvation free, but I have to work to stay in his love? Now, it would be natural for you to think that way from this story, but that's not at all what Jesus is saying. You don't have to get your life cleaned up before you can be forgiven, accepted, and loved, or even used by God to do meaningful, eternal value things in this world, in this life. You don't have to know everything about the Bible and pass some sort of works and character test. Salvation is a free gift. So think of it this way instead. James, Jesus' earthly half-brother who refused to believe in Jesus till after the resurrection, writes in James 5, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, which it's an impossible question. You can't show anybody your faith apart from works. That's kind of the obvious in this statement. I will show you my faith by works. He goes on to say, You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, belief alone isn't evidence of faith. Even the demons believe and shudder. You can believe in God and not be saved and not have faith and not be a follower of Jesus. The demons do. Do you want to be shown, he goes on, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. So let's put this yet even another way. When you come into saving faith as a follower of Jesus... You wake up every morning so awed by the fact that you are so loved. 
You are so overjoyed by the fact that your slate of sin has been wiped clean. You are so wowed by the fact that the God of the universe believes you are so valuable that he would come as Jesus to die for you and rescue you that you want to make the most of your time. By letting that story shape your life in a way that results in you doing good works to love others and share your story of love and being loved by God with others. See, which leads us back again to the parable. See, Jesus' main point is because of how valuable Jesus' love says you are, you no longer have to play it safe. See, the story is all about Jesus motivating us to not play it safe, but instead to be free to risk and live fully for his sake. Years ago, I heard one of my favorite uh, speakers, Graham Cook, talk about how he went away on a retreat trying to figure out, you know, what God wanted to do with his life now that he was getting older. And I remember him saying that the one thing he felt like God shared with him on that retreat just praying, he felt like God said to him, I wish you would have made more mistakes. See, it's so easy for us to be this one talent guy, to play it safe, because we're afraid of making a mistake, of not making the right decision, that we become paralyzed and do nothing and we bury our talent in the ground, or at the very least, we just put our talent in the bank and let other people use it. And see, I think we would all agree that we don't want to be either one of those people. We want to be the two and five talent people in this story and get the most out of life. And yet we often live more concerned about making a mistake than we are concerned about living fully in success. Think about this for a moment. Jesus and God, uh, God already came in Jesus and already did the work to forgive anything you do wrong. So what real fear is there left from risking in doing something wrong? Sure, we don't want to take God's grace for granted, but most of the things we're fearful about risking our life around have nothing to do with going out and outright sinning and taking advantage of that grace and forgiveness of God. Most of the things we play it safe around are instead things like, should I do this job or that job? Should I volunteer or should I volunteer there? Or should I risk leading or maybe not leading because I think I might mess it up? Should I share my faith with somebody else or should I not share my faith with a friend, right? See, Jesus in this story is inviting us to risk and not worry about it. I mean, even if you do something that isn't the best and you make a mistake, God's already got you covered, Before getting to action steps, let's let's, let's just spend a little more time with what makes us play play it safe instead of risk. See, we see in this one-talent person that he lives with fear. He believes he cannot live up to God's standards, and his focus on fear paralyzes him from doing anything. Another thing that tends to make us play it safe like the one-talent person is we'll also catch ourselves living life with language of blame and excuses 
If you ever say, I can't do what God says, I can't do this because I'm not good enough to do God's work, or, or if you ever say, oh, oh, my brother or my friends or, or, or this other person over here, they were given so much more than me, and, and that's the reason I struggle. I just haven't been given as much as them, and I can't, I, I just, uh, that's the reason I'm not doing so well. If you say those things, then you are caught in the same thing that caused the one talent person to play it safe. If that's you, God is saying to you today, no excuses, no blame, no comparison. You are valuable. I've given you great value. And frankly, even if your life is full of struggles that make your life so much harder than other people, God is saying to you, I can give you even in that an even more powerful and valuable story than maybe even other people if you will just believe what I say about how valuable you are and live life with no excuses or blame. One of the most inspiring people that I've known in all my life is a guy named Steve. Steve is a black man. He was uh, born with a learning disability and raised in really tough circumstances. He had plenty of challenges to overcome in life. Steve was on disability. He was never going to hold down a job. It was, that's just, he was just never going to hold down a job. And yet Steve lived every day as though everything he did was for God. He served others. He went out of his way to be thoughtful and kind to others. I would come back from a long day of work and, and study to find him in my dorm room or later on in my apartment, folding my clothes and cleaning my room. And he would just say to me how he'd been praying for me all day. And he'd ask me what he could pray for me the next day. And if there's anything else he could do to care for me. And he did that for so many other people. He walked three miles every day, round trip from his home in 30 degree weather or 100 degree weather. It didn't make any difference to encourage, to serve to give of his time to pray for people and believe in people and encourage people all day long. He couldn't handle anything complicated in life. But he knew what it was like to love God and use his time faithfully and wisely. See, we also see playing it safe in our lives in the story of when we live for what is easy rather than for a mission worth our lives. See, this guy in the story, he does what's easiest, no, the no effort thing. Today, we often live our lives for leisure. Recreation and entertainment, they are such good things to bring joy and fun and relaxation and build relationships and just so much richness to life. But is that what you're living for? Is your bucket list mostly full of those kinds of entertainment kind of things? Or is your bucket list mostly full of mission of God things for your life, of bringing heaven to earth as much as possible kind of things for your life? We also see playing it safe in this story because we live life like Jesus isn't coming back and we won't have to give an account for our lives. And this story reemphasizes that while Jesus has gone away, at least in the earthly sense of physical sense from us, he will indeed come back. And each and every one of us will stand before God one day and give an account for how we lived our lives. Now, what is profoundly significant in Jesus' story is that playing it safe is not really safe at all. It isn't that playing it safe just doesn't get rewarded. It's that playing it safe gets punished because it squanders the tremendous value and purpose that God has created each and every one of us for. 
and actually harms others who were intended to benefit from how he blessed us and with a purpose and with value in our life. See, we are designed and commissioned by God to do something with the value we have been given so we can't play it safe anymore. Just attending church, and maybe if you're really good, be dedicated to a small group, is not something that equates to being a faithful follower of Jesus or being a part of the mission of the church. That just isn't going to cut it anymore because that's not taking the value God has given you and doing something with it. Maybe if you're really good, uh, you, you make a financial gift to God's work. Or maybe if you're really, really, really good, you volunteer to help with something every now and then or something similar representing God out in the community. But all that means is you might be doing the very least, Jesus says, this one talent guy should have done, giving your money to others and just a little bit of your time so others can make some value out of it rather than discovering and engaging the calling and the purpose and the great value God has on your life. See, but neither of those is taking the value of God gave you and doing something with it like the two and the five talent people. See, Jesus is inviting us and actually warning us not to play it safe anymore. So what do we do with this? How do we take some steps forward? See, I think one of the problems with breaking out of playing it safe when we've been doing that is when we hear messages like this, it's often overwhelming. You, you walk away thinking, you, you mean I have to take two talents and double it into four? I have to take five talents and double it into ten? And we start asking ourselves the really big questions of life like, am I in the right career? What, what really big change do I need to make to my family? What big changes do I need to make in myself? And we think we need to make some huge response to this parable. But that's not at all what we see Jesus portraying in this story, in this parable at all. What Jesus is portraying and illustrating to us in this story is two primary ways that we move forward instead of playing it safe, we live in all God has for us. And the first, what we see in each of the two servants is that they just faithfully take a step each day. It says they take the money and they immediately went day by day and they faithfully took what they had and allowed it to work each day, sharing their value in a way that planted seeds and allowed growth to happen. Actually, it kind of reminds me of a paraphrase of Jesus from Matthew 6 when Jesus says basically, do not worry about tomorrow. The opportunities of today are enough for today. There are opportunities each day to love, to resolve conflict, to bring peace and restore relationships, and to help someone see how valuable they are to God. Maximize your most valuable resource today, your time. Ask yourself the question each day, what's the one thing God wants me to do today? Or maybe instead of asking that question, you'll want to pray a prayer that Amy Grant is famous for praying, has talked about. You know, even when she's on the road, she talked about how she'd call home and pray this with her, with her kids at night before they went to bed. She'd say, or in the morning when they got up, she'd say, Lord, lead me today to those I need and to those that need me. And let something I do today have eternal significance. See, often when we ask questions like the one thing or pray prayers like that, God actually nudges us to do something, to stop and to care for, to talk with, to pray for someone. If you're like me, 
it can be easy to put those nudges off, those things God asks us to do that we know He's asking us to do. We don't need a preacher to tell us that we need to do that because we know already that God is actually wanting us to do that. See, for example, I know some of you, God has been nudging you for some time, asking you to give more generously. How do I know that? Because you've told me that's what you believe God is saying is the next step, one of the big next steps for you and your faith is to do that. And the question is, have you acted on that yet? See, some of you believe God has asked you to reach out to your neighbors or maybe even hold a block party as a way of building relationships and friendships uh, that can provide opportunities for you to, to share God's love and share your story and care for people through your actions. What has God been nudging you to do that you haven't yet started to do? I received an encouraging email this, this past week. Uh, in response to our Backyard Gospel series, uh, Rob and Christy felt like God was asking them to have their whole neighborhood over for uh, dinner one night. So recently they bought a pizza oven, so they decided they were going to make all the dough and get all the ingredients and invite the whole neighborhood over to come over and make their own pizzas on the front lawn. And, and uh, here are some of Rob's cool reflections. I actually just realized now... Uh, long week. I forgot to put some pictures up. We had some pictures I could have shown you of that. But here's some of Rob's cool reflections. He talks about how it was so fun to meet the new people on the block and how to catch up with the long-time neighbors. And he, he goes on how the kids absolutely had a blast playing with, with each other. And then he says, one of the things we loved about our neighborhood in the past is that there's a long history of cookouts, book clubs, and other activities. Many of the people who had organized these activities had moved away, and this pizza party was a fun way to keep that sense of community. Thank you for the opportunity to serve our neighborhood like this and bring people together. That is so cool. Building relationships that can lead to sharing your story and caring for people can just be so much fun. Now, just a reminder, we are redirecting some of our outreach funds this year that we've used elsewhere to help people in our church reach out like the Lahodas did. So if you need some help financially to pull off something like that, whether you feel like God is nudging you to, just, just call me. And we'll give you some help to make sure you can pull off that kind of a neighborhood type of thing if you want to do it. I also got to see a lot of people this last week in VBS just serving and meaningfully giving themselves. I got to hear stories of and see youth and adults praying for kids and, and doing such a great job leading the kids in prayer, even for some that wasn't even in their comfort zone yet. But they did a fantastic job. I got to see adults having meaningful conversations with kids. And in one instance, I know at least one leader got to pray with some kids who were facing some really real, raw, painful struggles in life. It's so easy, isn't it, to be busy? Because we are, right? It's so easy to sense a nudge from God to do something in a month or two months or six months later. We still haven't done anything with it. See, applying this parable to our lives is all about readying ourselves each day to pay attention to the unforeseen nudges of God for that day, ready to live in the moment, ready to give our most valuable resource, your time and your story, to love and care for people you run into each day. Because frankly, someone needs your time and someone desperately needs your story. So the second way in order to live well that I think Jesus shows us in this is we need to fight our fear by seeing God for who he is. 
Now think about this. There's three characters outside of the master in this story. Two receive the gift from God and recognize it as God's love and goodness. It's evidence to them of how good God is, how generous he is, that he has confidence that they can do well, that he's entrusted them with this. And their focus is on that. But the one talent person, instead of recognizing the tremendous value and goodness of God and how that represents how much God trusts him and how much confidence God has in him, he instead only sees the fear that God is so much better than him and he can never measure up to God's expectations. See, there is a choice in this parable of what we are going to focus on. Will we focus on that extravagant goodness and generosity and confidence God has in us, entrusting us with the talents, the time, and the calling he has on our lives? Or will we focus on how God is so big and perfect that we can never measure up? Will we focus on God's loving trust of us? Or will we focus on the fear? See, for most If we were to go through the reasons why we play it safe instead of risk, they boil down to fear. Lots of what-if questions. What if this goes wrong? What if I fail? What if I don't make the right choice? What if people laugh at me? What if I make things worse when I'm trying to help instead of making them better? What if I, what if I get rejected and my whole family or other people get rejected? We need to fight the what-ifs of that fear. Maybe by memorizing verses like 2 Timothy 1.7 where Paul is actually writing to his protege, Timothy, who is actually struggling with that very same kind of fear. He's not feeling up to the task of leading what in that day was one of the leading churches of the day that Paul had started. Paul writes to him in 2 Timothy 1. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or sound judgment. And therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony, the story in your life of the Lord. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power. He's given us love. He's given us sound judgment so that we then share the most valuable things God has given you and I, his story in your life and your time. God gave you gifts and God's spirit is with you to accomplish the work of the gifts and the callings he has given you. Can you imagine, just just imagine for a second how awesome life would be if you didn't live from fear. If you and I truly believed how valuable we are, you are so valuable, God came and died for you to rescue you. And that God who loves you like that, that God who rose from the dead, promises to give you a meaningful, abundant life. And he hasn't left it up to just you. The Spirit of God Himself comes to you and lives in you as a follower of Jesus and works through you. God has someone out there today, this week, who needs to hear your story or needs your time and the care that you will show them. So what's the one thing 
that God wants you to do today? Some of you already know it. I don't even have to tell you. You don't even have to think about it. You already know it because you know there's been this nudge that's, got, that's been going on that God's been kind of nudging you again through this service that you've been neglecting to follow through on. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit, His Holy Spirit, of power and a sound mind. For some of you, that nudge is that you've been kind of dancing around this faith thing, but you've never really committed to following Jesus. You've never been all in, even though you know it's reality, you know it's true, you know it's right. You've been nudged by God many times. Maybe today is your day to take that step and actually do that nudge. There'll be people to pray with you down here after the service is over. Once we dismiss, you can come on down and you can talk to them and they'll lead you in that process. Others of you, others of you just need to stop, stop playing it safe and you just need to, to step out and you need to just risk something new. Whether it's volunteering, whether it's taking on a leadership role that you're not sure you really feel capable of doing, whether you want to, or maybe even a new job. I mean, come on. So what if it isn't the right thing? God's got you. He wants you to be where you are best designed to be more than you even want to be there. God has got you. So accept Jesus' invitation to not play it safe. Make more mistakes. But at least whatever you do, risk. Risk because He loves you. Risk because He has given you great value. He believes in you that much. Would you stand with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come right now. And I pray that even as we turn and we turn our hearts to worship of you, Lord, that you would come, and especially to anyone here who lacks confidence. Lord, I pray that your spirit would touch them and you would just fill them with power and with confidence and strength, that there would be a tangible sense of your presence reaffirming to each and every person here that they are valuable. And you have given them so much valuable things to do in life. So Lord, we just welcome you to come by your spirit and do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you continue to worship? Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.